cracked me up because <laughs> I think it, I forget it was one of my parents who said something brought up the term the politics of personal destruction and they were talking about it relative to Newt Gingrich back in the late 90s and I just googled it and I it pulled up conservapedia and the first line says that the politics of personal destruction is a liberal tactic of demonizing the opposition <laughs> so it's classic to, to get two sides two sides on there um, Conservapedia. I've never clicked on this before, but I thought it's pretty funny. And, um, anyway, the, <laughs> the reason I was bringing up politics of personal destruction is because I wanted to talk about hating other people and being really angry at other people and how we could turn all of our, if we could turn all of our anger at other people and all that, that frustration and fury that makes us want to destroy other people and call them bad and call them and just look down on them and call out all their flaws, everything that's about personally destroying them and make it about the the system, like you know those shirts that say blame society? I literally think that one of the biggest keys to stopping our agony of being at war with each other is to full-fledged blame society and societal structures for everything. And I don't mean that in the way of just get really whiny and spend all of your time complaining about how everything is terrible, like I have done a lot in frustration but it's literally like if someone's behaving in a way that that's caused a lot of hurt a lot of pain is really dysfunctional in your opinion anything instead of making it about personally destroying them you make it about the how angry you are that they were ever put in a position where they were caused the pain that would even cause them to act like that like you can take out the war, like I have no war with anyone on earth, but I have a war with the system that made them behave the way that they did. And I'm not trying to say that once again is, oh, eliminate personal responsibility, because that's impossible to do, and who created the system? I don't have to say that, talk to say that. But it's a very real thing to, doesn't mean deny your anger towards people or whatever, but as an overall feeling, instead of having a zillion people you're angry at, you could be, let yourself be angry at the fact of how things work, making the relationship or the behavior of those people so painful. Like you're, you're, you're not mad at your, at your parents, you're mad at the fact that the system puts you in a position where your relationship with them is so dysfunctional. You're not mad at your friends, even if they betrayed you or you feel like that or anything like that. You're mad at the fact of how dynamics made it played out that way. You're not mad at yourself, you don't hate yourself. You're mad that society puts you in a certain position. And so you turn, turn away from tearing other people down to tearing down what you feel like is dysfunctional. And that's like what I realized is as I got, 
as I started feeling really pained and pressured, I went into the normal trap of making it about how other people weren't good enough. And it's the fact that people just were who they were. Yes, they weren't good enough to help me when I needed it. Yes, but that's not because they're bad people at all. Just like I'm not a bad person when I haven't been able to act rightly towards others. It's so many pressures involved. So turn the hate of others into the hate of society. That's my, my thing. Yeah. 
He's more inquisitive than me, but you know, we're not sure you all can say you are because you don't have identification. Just these statements. So really the 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 most interesting thing about that entire episode is that the way that the police mobilized them was not it was a reflex. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't like this guy's an enemy in the state or he's a threat or that it wasn't even focused on what I was even had to say. It was just that their response to any sort of dissent on an almost cellular subconscious level is to suppress it. That it doesn't even have to be thought about or considered. It's almost instinctual. It's instinctual. Yeah. And the other paradox of it is that the, the young officer officers who were arresting me were remorseful. Yeah. They didn't want to arrest me. Yeah. They were like, oh most we got hit doing you. You gotta have a oh man, what are you doing? You gotta have a permit. You don't want to get arrested. I was like, I have a permit. And it was it was just it showed that policy is pervasive. Yeah. A year to the date, the trash is still sitting in the streets in New Orleans. And New Orleans just represents the routine mistreatment that poor people and black people have received in this country. And it all just came to a head in, in New Orleans. New Orleans is so jam-packed with hundreds and hundreds of years of inhumane regard for repression. And, and even beyond repression, it's indifference. Casual indifference. You know, watch Bush and his family as they walk into these uh, these shelters, and it's just kind of annoying that they have to even be there. This is drudgery for them, you know. Uh, getting their feet dirty. Yeah, it's not even getting their feet dirty. It's just like, oh, this is depressing. To yeah. have to do this, it was just a hurricane. Oh, God, oh man, and there's no sincere care. Yeah, this it's completely perfunctory. It's not it's not any real human investment. So, you know, I I wish that I could say that there were other artists to you know they have been. But I would I, I just did what I felt was necessary to do. And I, I, I don't mind having having been arrested. I mean I, I, I did not It does, you know. It does. They didn't. I, I, if it had been any other type of artist doing the same thing that I was doing, I'm sure that it would have been just slap on the wrist. A different response. If Puffy had decided to do that, he might not have got shut down. Got shut down at all. It was anyone that was a part of that commercial glamorous pantheon. And many of them who I like, but if if I was a part of that actively. It would have been, you know, 
think it was abjectly political, do you think that if you'd have been singing, you know, another one of your songs, it would have? I'm not sure. I think it's ironic that I was singing a, a, one of my more political songs, if not my most political yeah. song, and that happened. Had it been something different in a pop experience, we had dancers or something, yeah. I think that they would have just, it, they may have shut it down, but they may have enjoyed the spectacle a little but, more. Yeah, there was something it. in the energy of the song that instinctively yeah. fostered a response. Which I just was, I was really, really fascinated by it. I was like, these, you know, a lot of those people out there, not that, they're not even that politically aware to say, oh, this is a political threat. Or this is critical of the state or critical of state policy. It's just that somewhere in them, the superiors, the guys with the white shirts yeah. on, knew that that's not that's not proper. And furthermore, there's the another irony is that there's a heightened police presence around that award ceremony because there's a large black nominee base. And then a lot of it comes from hip hop. So the police presence has been amped up because there may be some incident of violence. Yeah. So the atmosphere has already been cultivated months before the awards show even arrives. We're gonna have increased police presence. Gonna make it tense. We got yeah, because and that type of posture often brings something that might never have happened yeah. to the fore. So it was just it was just really, really, really interesting. And I mean I'm not gonna lie, you know. It's not bad to have that. Not that I did it for that, but I certainly don't mind you know, being arrested for. Uh, but it gets it out in a way. Yeah, sitting there talking about it. Yeah, you know, and people they 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 be, they don't forget about those people yeah. who have been forgotten enough already. So, do you feel? I mean, I don't know. I mean, in in your line of work, do you think there is a lot of um, pressure to sort of self-center? Cult the personality, sure. And I say, if we can control these personalities, if we can pick the personalities that people will respond to, or we can cultivate these personalities, then we can stay in control of the machine. It went from them being able to successfully do that to somewhere along that line, artists or talented people and the machinery saying, we don't even have to cultivate personalities anymore. We can cultivate personas. So we went from culture to the cult of personality to the cult of persona to get people to believe that so-and-so is this, to get spokespeople or representatives for a lifestyle or an idea that they may not even subscribe to themselves. They can sell it though. They can make it appealing to, to a mass of people. And there's there are great rewards for agreeing to do that. You know, it's 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 gone from being this is my art that reflects this is my work that reflects my history, my personal life, my struggles, my ambitions, my dreams, to this is my persona as it is attached to a product or a 
lifestyle or something that you can buy. Two intertwined, many of them. And there are lots of, they reward you for it. If you just say, it has nothing to do with me, I'm just a model. It's like I trips. put, I put on the clothes, I stand in the pose, they pay me a check. So what effect does that have on the community? Oh my God, it's, it's if there's no voice of dissent, if there's no imagination, not even, let's just leave the set alone. If there's no earnestness, if there's no truth in what artists and talented people do, if it's all about the gesture, then, if, then it's telling people there's no room for your imagination. There's no use being imaginative. Follow the rules. And what about the individual in terms of the collective? It's not about them. It's about conforming. And if you see someone who is a creative person doing that, then what energy might you have to criticize your local government, yeah. or your state government? Or, or to just have any sort of opinion about what's going on around you in the world to say, to use your common sense to say, well, that may be a prevailing practice, but that doesn't mean that it's useful yeah. or, or necessary. If you see people who are supposed to be imaginative people, creative people, not being that, I think that the long-term effect is that the masses in general just find themselves being less creative, less imaginative, and creativity and imagination are integral in creating change in the world. I mean, you know, you 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 need that spark. Yeah. If well, if he could do that, then I could do. Has it got the stage for that, actually? Yeah, I mean, is, is, it, is it organized? The, the, the corporations have successfully bribed many charismatic, charismatic personalities and figures with money and flattery. And a lot of times, not even with money, but they're really driving them with is a perception of social access. Mm. You are invited into an exclusive club. You get to sit in the velveteen chair and for some people there's a very intoxicating proposal because I'm especially if you come from an ignored or marginalized part of the world and now somebody's treating you like this rare and precious thing. Now the 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 fine print of that is like it's better to be and this is a quote from an article about Josephine Baker that I read. It is better to be treated like a rare and precious thing as opposed to a horrible, ugly one. But it's still to be treated like a thing. There's no real human temperature in that. It's, oh, you're so exotic. But 
you're you're a caricature. You're a beautiful caricature, but you're not a human. Yeah, you're not a a human being. Mm -hmm. And it's just that kind of hip hop will find its center again. At the moment, a lot of its biggest names and most charismatic personalities are dizzy and disoriented off of success and what they what they perceive to be mainstream approval and acceptance. Which the irony is that the culture came into prominence without any of that. Yeah. Almost came anti that. Rejecting that. Like we don't care what you think, it doesn't matter. It's like I was watching this thing on Annie Warhol. The great thing about uh, another great quote is that he said that Andy realized that you couldn't lead people from the front, that you had to go to the edge and say, this is the center. Yeah. And that people will find their way to the new center. Yeah. And that's what hip hop said. It's like, even past that, it was like, this is the edge and this is the center for us. And we don't care about the center. This is our center. And then people started gravitating toward that center. <laughs> They're in it, surrounded in sort of commercialization and lots of money. And, you know, at least what, what would they, it take to, to push it again to the side? You know, where, where are the leaders going to come from? You know? Well, there are a lot. There are lots of leaders, there are lots of artists who are doing those sorts of things. But when they when they submit themselves to certain forms of machinery as television or radio, then it's a perfect opportunity for you to be suppressed. And what happened, I think, is that we started to accept mainstream notions of success. Being on a top billboard artist was not even in anyone's field of vision. It was just about being able to make music that was relevant to to your center. Then your center started being relevant to the the center, the mainstream center. And as a result, people started modifying themselves and you know, changing appearances to appeal to the old centered sensibility. Yeah. And uh, now, if you want to go on the top 10 and billboard, and this was, this came from inside the culture, we adopted this. Yeah. If you weren't that type of artist, you weren't relevant. If you couldn't have that sort of mainstream appeal, you, you didn't matter. And it almost it had to be that you were lobbying or campaigning for the widest audience possible, which is harmful because it turns it into like a tournament type of atmosphere Mm -hmm. where you're competing against not only your own contemporaries, but other genres and 
it's got to be like a very gladiator type of atmosphere, you know. Uh, what happens to the message in that, you know? I mean, this is the whole thing. If it's getting split up that much, to maintain a pretty solid message must be near impossible. Well, you know, if people, it's really simple. You know, the radio stations won't play certain records, and they only play roughly 35 to 40 records in any given rotation anyway. Yes. So, uh, this is the first time I smoked a camera. I apologize to my nap. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to like um, so they only play a, a certain amount of records, and they, um, they say they don't play certain records because, well, that's not what people want to hear. Yeah. It says who? It says the program director who usually works for some large broadcast corporation. If you take that part of if you've got media owned by like four companies, uh, you know, all of the media in this country, if it's owned by like, you know, maybe four major companies, and how, how do you get the message out there if there's... You just have to do it. And you have to just go directly to the people. I mean, you can't depend on MTV or Hot 97. I mean, I've attempted to. Mm. I've attempted to do that. And I've had really good records. I mean, I got, I've been nominated for Grammys and for gold records. And, and I've had program directors even tell me, most, oh, I like you. I love your music. But I can't. It doesn't fit into our format. The format is predetermined. Yeah. And it's pretty predictable. Everybody says, everybody makes it like, it's not that premeditated. You're being conspiracy theorist. And it's like, if it's not that premeditated, why is it so predictable? Yeah. If, it's, if it's not premeditated, how come it is so reliably uniform? So homogenized. It's Sex, violence, uh, love songs, glamour, dance. That's it. Stuff. There's no, there's no real information on these stations. So as a result, there's no real information in the music. And that's not what they're about. That's not what their programming mandate is about. Their programming mandate is about surface pop culture and that's really problematic for us as a community because the only culture that we have in this country is the ones that we create. Now the people who create culture have been bribed and co-opted sometimes consciously and even worse unconsciously by these huge corporations to say the only way that we'll take your message to the mass is if you represent what we are comfortable with yeah seeing your community or seeing your demographic which is a really kind of sterile terminology for people and a community it's like well your demographic we're comfortable with you representing this to them we like it when we're comfortable with that imagery mm. and anything outside of that we don't we're hesitant on So do you already have to have media? I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, when you've got someone like Mumia, who's, you know, now it is, you know, you kind of have to be looking for him to find him. 
you're going to have to be, you know, I mean, he's there, he's accessible on the web, you know, his, his commentaries are there every week. But, you, you know, if you're not looking for him, he's very hard to find. So does that make it a problem in terms of, do you already have to have media exposure to be able to make that message? Or do you just got to keep plugging away? Well, I mean, these are, these are, those are type of scientific types of questions. Um, do I think that, I think there's certain it's, messages. Because it's, it's just, a, you know, I found Mumia through, you know, I mean, from my mom. You know, she's, right. she's political, you know, so, you know, I've sort of been raised in that. But if I, if I hadn't been, I don't know if I ever would have known about it. Do you know what I mean? I think that there's a bit of advice that a, a writing professor that, and a great novelist, Victor LeBron, gave me. I accidentally <laughs> tells his students, he told, he told me that he tells his students to write as if they're the only ones that would understand. And in doing that, they will become universal. And I think that applies to people like Mamiya or people who have a real message who may not, who, for whatever reason, have been stymied by the mass media or rejected or persecuted. Is this somehow in a way that we may not even be able to measure that's mm. not this this far less empirical than we could imagine yeah. the message just gets out just on the virtue of what it has to say true yeah very true and some people might view that as idealistic but i sincerely believe that and there's so many examples mm. of that uh i find that Actually, people who are less concerned with that end up getting it. You know, you get guys like Dylan or Bob Marley. Those weren't the, that wasn't the aim. The aim was to make their most honest work. Yeah. And because they did it, it just gets airborne. And it's there's, there's something else. That's the thing about information is that it's really... The truth is a form of magic. And it just, it finds its way to people. Without a machine, without approval from the gatekeeper, how did that happen? It just did. Yeah. It just did. Like, like anything else. You, I mean, because you're involved approval from the gatekeeper, how did that happen? It just did. Yeah. It just did. find it easier maybe in your music than in your acting or that I mean is there anything that you feel that feel different in different spheres? In, in acting there's always I mean I'm a young black actor so the, I've been very fortunate to be able to to do the type of work that I've done and I'm doing at this point I just don't want to tell. I want. I don't want to tell stories or portray characters that are not that interesting, or that are just for the sake of 
increasing your career profile. There's, there's gotta be something in it that is dynamic. Yeah. And that's really hard to do as a, as a, as a, especially as a young black actor. I mean, after you get past a certain age or so, you can do all the interesting stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. After, yeah. after you're past a certain sexual <laughs> prime, they're like, oh, my daughter's not going to look at you and want to, yeah. you know, put your poster on a wall <laughs> and daydream about you. Uh, but when you're young, in your 20s, early 30s, I think that's the time where you want to play and you have the opportunity to play really interesting, dynamic, well-rounded characters. And traditionally, they just keep these guys on this real kind of horse and pony. You know, you're playing the, the love interest or the villain. Yeah. And... I'm not really interested in that. So I, was gonna say, I just um <laughs> I try to do the stories that I like, even if they're not so well executed. So uh, and to work with the people that I that I admire, and I think they have something to offer, something something to say. And movies are crapshoot. You know, you take a risk. You say this looks like this on the page. We only get it on its feet. It may be great, well, and it gets to the editing room, it may be something completely different. There's so many hands that touch a film project that you just try to follow your intuition, do the best work you can, and it just go, okay, moving on. Yeah. And that's where the impulse comes when people say, well, I'm just going to get the money because I can always do another film. Absolutely, yeah. Which is very tempting, too, because if you kind of just say, okay, this is not about me and my personal views, I'm going to portray these characters that have nothing to do with me. It's, you know, I have no connection to them, really. You're going to pay me a handsome fee. I'm going to climb a little bit up the ladder. And then at some point, when I've elevated far enough, then I can do my own thing. Yeah. Which is a method. It's not, I'd rather be about that all the way. Yeah. So that it's never any surprise or some sort of departure that it's just like you've always been. About. You might lose your street cred then. I mean, it's not. Street, I mean, it's not, not even about the street. Like, I might not even. I might not have any fun. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. This is this is art. It's supposed to. It's supposed to make you happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, you're supposed to feel good about it. I mean, at least that's that's why I started doing it. There's, there's a certain level of joy that can come out of it, and that's what I try to go to. Is the is the is the joy like not just. Not the gratification of people saying, oh, you were awesome, you were great, or everybody's seen your movie. It's just like the joy of it, the, the, the challenge of it as, as well. As the career shit is like, you know, that fame, that mass, that critical mass fame moment has an egg timer on it anyway. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like you're the prom queen, prom, prom queen or king for one day. Yeah. You can't wear the tiara around every day. I was from King. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you, I mean, like, you changed your clothes. And, you know I lost my trophy. Yeah, it's, it's, there's an impulse that after you're the prom king to want to be the prom king yeah. every year yeah. and to maintain yeah. that. It's, and it's just, it takes too much energy for, to, for me to, and it's just not that interesting. I don't have that type of, Ambition. I make a good living. I make a decent living, and I do work that I like. And the 
you know, sometimes it's not that easy, but that, you know, so what? You're going to be able to sleep at night. You're going to be able to look at yourself. Even if some, it's better to do something that you care about that doesn't turn out well. Sure, of course. Because even if it doesn't turn out well, it can go well. I get it, son. Nothing more friends. I was trying. It's worse when you miss something that you don't really care about. And either if it turns out well, you don't respect the people who admire it because you're like, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I, I'm not able to accept the praises I'm receiving from it really comfortably in myself because I know that this is supposed to be. Yeah. And then if it fails, it feels even worse. You know, it, and then you didn't, you didn't have a good time. Generally, the things that you don't care about, you don't have a good time doing. Yeah. And you're not that good at them. I just don't think, I just don't think you, you can excel at something that you really don't yeah. care about. And so you can for a while, but it's, you can't sustain it. No, of course. It's very interesting about being true to yourself. Because we read that book, The Nelson Jones book, called Salvation. It was explaining what happened during the day. How did they go from black pastors to nothing? Because it was all about ideas, it was all about success and money, and all the the big they made the people like Eddie Murphy, Oprah Winfrey, all like big stars. And the value was we're black, but we're like you, you know. People they were not true to them to themselves and their values anymore. And so it became, became depoliticized. I mean, and then you had the, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, and not even on the opposite end, kind of like in the twilight of that, in the middle, you have a guy like Spike Lee, yeah. who has a wide appeal without even having wide commercial success, per se. Yeah. But he's speaking effectively to his center yeah. and he's prolific yeah so he becomes as well known a name as any other filmmaker or any black star without that type of multi-million dollar success which speaks again to my belief that if you are the change if you are really invested in trying to become the change that you want to see in the world, the people will find you. Yeah. Especially now when the world is smaller than it's ever been. I mean, all of these different advents in technology are designed to make the world a little smaller. The telephone, the television, uh, radio, uh, film, they they condense the world. So now, I think there's less, there should be less anxiety. And given that the mammoth that the internet is, yeah. there's less fear. There's less anxiety that I have about people being able to get the message. You have people being getting known for just doing earnest silly things in the privacy of their homes that people connect to on some level like the guy that did the what's this the numa numa song it's just a guy 
in front of his webcam at home. And he's just jamming out to this ridiculous song. He films himself doing it, and it becomes a viral video. And then millions upon millions of people started doing their version of what he did. This is a guy that was just at home with a webcam. He's a, 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 a phenomenon yeah. of some sort now. So it's like, that's just a guy just doing something frivolous and fun. I got arrested in front of Radio City. They wrote about it one way in the press, in the papers. But then I can go to YouTube and there were people who were there with their telephone cameras who uploaded it themselves. So... This whole notion of like Big Brother is watching you. Not everybody's watching everyone. Yeah. Well, it's the other way. It's it, well, it, yeah, it's there's an opposite effect that it has. It's like the the, the person as a fact that they were at one time in shaping popular opinion. Yeah. They still are, but less and less every day. The, the English guy, the old guy, is the most watched thing on YouTube. He talks about his life. He's oh, done wow. it in 11, he's, he must be like eight years old. And he's done it in 11 chapters and basically told his life. It's the most watched video on YouTube. He's just sitting at home, you know, and and for what a lot of people consider boring, an old guy talking about his life. But, you know, it's absolutely amazing. Not, not, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. But you think that's because of the internet Absolutely, because what and traditionally, what what we the evidence that we live through is that the media or your your newspaper or your news broadcast is supposed to reflect what people feel and what they think. We've taken a poll. Yeah, we've done this. We've done that. And now you can hear the voice of the set and see it and experience it for yourself without some without a third party, without an intermediary. It don't have to come from CNN. It don't have to come from CNN. It don't have to come from C SPAN. It doesn't have to come from any of these, you know, huge conglomerates. It's a lot more personal now. So where do you think the leaders can come from? I mean, who are your heroes now? I mean, a lot of people would say you're their hero. I mean, who are yours? My parents, uh, my children, uh, Dave Chappelle, Muhammad Ali, Mumia. There's so many people. In this generation, and my heroes are people in the streets, you know, people who survive in poverty the best way that they know how. People in New Orleans are heroic. Um, people in the ghettos are heroic. Children of Sudan are heroic. Give a shout is this heroic. Do you think that you think that um, these movements will revitalize? Do you think that 
I don't think that that's that. I think that the reports of that death have been grossly exaggerated. But someone like, you know, I mean, someone like me back in the, you know, he was, we, we spoke to local Michael Starfield, who's the head of the um, campaign as a death penalty. He was in. The problem with, you know, one of the problems with Mumia's case was that, you know, he was coming from an era where when he was speaking out and screaming in the courtroom and condemning the whole thing, movements behind it and and just as he just as he just as it happened to him it was like he was screaming into an echo chamber. yeah and it you know especially through the 80s you know it, it sort of was dying do you feel optimistic about it do you think i do i think to feel discouraged is what they want and i think there's there's a natural impulse to look around you or to especially if you Look at television and the press in this country, anyway, to just be like, oh my God. Mm. People are so. People who aren't. People who. The people who are uninformed, then the people who are informed are misinformed. Uh, so. I think that that's the direct objective of the state is to keep people discouraged and disappointed and depressed because from that posture you won't make any change you will accept the status quo you'll accept it and the the notion of resistance is being marketed as burdensome uh in vain isolating and it is, but not to the degree that they've made it. To the degree it's not the burden yeah. and the isolation can be successfully managed. It can be dealt with. It is not it doesn't have to overwhelm you. And you can you can get you can get through it. And it's imperative at this day and time. Because I mean as Noam Chomsky said, the system of government and policy that's being proposed at the present moment is harmful to the entire species. So it's not a black issue or a white issue. It is harmful to even those who propagate it, yeah. to the people who champion it. It's, it doesn't serve them. There's an there's a Islamic parable that says you have two groups of people on a boat. On the top half of the boat, you have the believers. On the bottom half, you have the non-believers. The non-believers are thirsty. So they cut a hole in the boat to get water. They have to be stopped. Because they're sinking the ship. And it's a detriment to them. There's a better system to get them water. You have to show them away. This is not how you get water because you're going to drown yourselves. And you're going to kill us. What you have proposed does not even benefit you. It doesn't benefit America to export war to the four corners of the globe. Not at all. The right thing is better for everybody. It's easier to do. I mean, it has challenges, but cha the they can all be overcome. And once you overcome them, 
you become accustomed to overcoming them, so they don't become obstacles at all. It's the time for that. The, the, other than that, we, we perish. All of us. There will there won't be no like. I don't think there's gonna be like some surviving ruling class and their minions. Everyone is at risk. Well, it's unsustainable, isn't it? It's completely unsustainable. It's completely unsustainable. They talk about terrorism and this one's a terrorist and the terrorist organizations over here. Rather than saying if they are they are terrorists, why are they terrorists? It's not about America pursuing its foreign interests. It's the manner in which they pursue their foreign interests. It's the arrogance in which they pursue their foreign interests. It is a problem. Because America will not tolerate other countries pursuing their foreign interests in the same manner. They never have. And, and then you can't, you can't stand on a moral pretext, pointing fingers at the despots and leaders of uh, uh, leaders of the world, many of whom are your allies to begin with, and you have your own system of despotism and suppression. You can't point fingers at the leaders of the world, governments of the world when you're doing the same thing, and in many instances, even worse. Yeah. You say what you want about Saddam Hussein. Everyone can see clearly that this country was in much better condition with him in power than it is now. Sure, everyone has a critique of any leader of any nation. Hugo Chavez has his critics, and a lot of them are white. Fidel Castro, uh, any leader. They have policies that are good and the policies that people don't agree with. But what about our own policy? Yeah. The way we treat our own citizens. You can't fix someone else's yard before you fix your own. And you can't spend the money of the people in your yard to fix up someone else. It's neglectful. Or to and destroy their yard. And to, or to destroy their yard. We ain't fixing no yard, yard, you know? Yeah. It's like your neighbor lives next door to you. He beats his wife. He's not a good guy. You, you blow up his house. You kill him. Is that really the way to deal with that? Especially when you're beating your wife. <laughs> when you, when you may not even beat your wife. You may just have her locked in a dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Outside, she the phone. But you beat yours. It's wrong. This is not sensical. It's not sensical. It's, it's not sustainable. And furthermore, you can't take your human resource and terrorize it and abuse it and criminalize it. People who are bright lights. Well, me, it's not a criminal. Why would you kill Malcolm X? Why would you just ban the black people? Why would you do that? 
what good does that really do? These these are people who are trying to help. There could be a service to the entire country. They're not a threat to you. You're perceiving them as a threat, and it's wrong. And in torturing them, you really torture yourself. Because Mumia is a person that America could use right about now. Huey Newton is a person that could be of great use to the development of the nation. And if you got people in the street saying, fuck America and fuck these policies, rather than get defense and say, why are you saying that? You're in a marriage. You have children. And they go, fuck you, Daniel. You go, what? Why would you say that? It's the first thing. Why would you say that? What is your grievance? Deal with what they're saying. And you know, and in, in, in this instance in America, they know exactly what people are saying. You know that what you're doing is wrong. It's the whole idea of patriotism. It's like, it's like they kind of, uh, it's the same enthusiasm that sports fans have. I don't care if my team wins or loses, they're my team. Yeah. Which is an acceptable logic when it's applied to sports. When it comes to policy and the way people, systems that people are supposed to live by, you can't say that's a bad policy. You know, that my government set up, but still my government. Okay. <laughs> That's not where you apply that principle. You have to, if you care, you're supposed to say, you can't do that. You can't do that. Especially if you love your country. You know, you have a family member, they're a murderer, they're a criminal, whatever. You love them, but you can't control what they do. Yeah. You can't say, oh, it's cool. Yeah, hey, well, you know, you had to do what you had to do. I'll ride what you want, right? Unconditionally. That's ridiculous, of course. And it, as a result, you see that the country's not growing. And other nations are. America doesn't produce anything that the world really is thirsty for, other than cultural content and media. And even in that, you see a certain Stiffness. The rest of the world is producing goods and services. They're coming up with new ideas and technology. They're helping not just themselves get along, but they're doing, they're providing service for the entire world. 20th century was about America. They define the 20th century. 21st century is not about any one nation, it's about the world, it's about the world community. and. America would do well rather than be threatened is to say we would like to take part. We don't have to be the head honcho. We just want to be useful and helpful. And as a result, I think they would they end they have enough resource. It'd be too easy. Really. To just It'd be a lot easier than what they're doing now, isn't it? And then they can really claim we are the greatest country in the world because we do so and so. It's not because we have all of the money and all of the power. And because, you know, we'll rain down on you with missiles and just beat you into submission. It's not. It's a big 
bully at school, isn't it? Yeah. You may not tell him you don't like him, but you definitely don't like him. You don't like him. You know? And at, at some point, somebody's going to face the bully down. The bully never wins. Yeah. It's in all of the movies. You got children, you got 
how is it how are they making it easy for you that this they're telling you participate in the process it's vital but they're discouraging you by the bureaucracy that they set in place for you to even participate in the process watching pam do this going down there this was democracy this was watching a woman go down there and tell her leaders and the people in power where she lives what she thought of them and why she disagreed and it's almost you know it's like it's like you getting arrested outside you know radio cities in a way it's it's democratic getting your voice out there whether or not they're gonna allow you to do that whatever happens you have to raise the issue you have to raise the issue not because you're trying to convert someone but it's because it has to be raised more for the people who do agree but are afraid to say that they do and once they see somebody who raises the issue that they know is right they go you know what i was just thinking the same thing people are isolated they don't but i didn't feel i didn't feel comfortable i feel like i might get isolated or people who were like you know what? i wasn't even thinking about that i never considered it uh, you just have to you have to raise you have to raise the issue I think Barack Obama should be the next president of the United States and I think that uh it's uh it would heal the nation I don't think that I don't. I don't think that I think the Democrats should be thanking whatever God they believe in that He's a Democrat. Because mm -hmm. I don't think they have anyone who can beat him on the Democrat or the Republican side. And furthermore, Barack is interesting because he would not have to spend the type of money that is traditionally spent on presidential campaigns because. His appeal would be from the center out and up. Barack could just get in a tour bus and go from station to station. He wouldn't have to spend any money on radio ads or he could go and talk at every urban radio station. He could do something. The way the technology is even to this point, he could run his whole campaign from MySpace or YouTube. I mean, and that's not being facetious. That's very real. I think Barack is in a position to transform the way that even campaigns are run. I think, I, I, so I think that Barack is, uh, he's a better hope than, than, than anybody I've seen on the, on the Democrat. And I think there's a bit of resentment that probably there's a there's a competitive spirit. He has all of the things, you know. Yeah. And he's he's got the John Kennedy thing about him. He's just better to look at. I'm not good. I'm sorry. That's vain and surface, but it counts. It does. He looks like what he is. You know, he looks like what he is. And then when people, you want to be able to be American and go, that's the president. That's the president. Do you know? No, I've never met him. But, and I, you know, 
he just and he's more of a human figure. And I think you know Bush plays at that. I'm just a regular guy, you know. To camouflage the fact that he he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just you know. I do away with the uh, what do you call them uh, airs. <laughs> you just don't know what you're doing. Don't try to sell that off as like some you know your home spun. Yeah. You're an aristocrat. Knock it off. I mean, you know, you're an elitist. You come from a, a dynastic family. So we're like you're just a you know just normal guy. Yeah, the guy that we can go fishing with. You know, on the baseball team. Once we get a security clearance, it's like <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not like that. And you know, the other problem with Bush, I, I tell you what I feel about Bush. I think I think Bush is depressed. I think that deep inside of himself, he's been enlisted to do something by the people around him, whether it be his family or advisors or people who have their own objective. And he's really Bush's chance gardener. But like someone that's just been pushed into a position and accepted a responsibility they really didn't want and they got all these people around them grooming them for this responsibility and they're carrying out they're doing exactly what they're being told but they really and maybe this is maybe idealistic and it's hard parts is a bit sick with themselves because nobody wants that listen man you have a UN conference and two different statesmen on a global stage criticize you at length you personally and your policy Venezuela and Iran are not neighbors they have separate national interests they're very well developed nations they're independent nations they're not poor very 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 powerful powerful influential both of these leaders are educated men. And they're cussing you out. On different planes. Yeah. Hugo Chavez steps up to the podium, and this is what this is what I thought was amazing. Before he says a word about Bush or the administration, he recommends Noam Chomsky's hegemony of survival. Which well, I also think he is dead. <laughs> which is classic. Which is classic. This is a a Spanish speaking leader who's recommending a book written by an American intellectual. He's like, and I, I could re- I started to read passages from this book, but I'll just leave it as a recommendation. Now about this and this and this, and he's and he's funny. The type of candor and like uh, personability that. Bush takes that Chavez really has he'll make a joke in the middle of of a poignant speech or after a poignant statement or he'll say something that you don't expect a a leader of state to say like the devil was here it still smells like sulfur it's like he's got jokes you know what I'm saying oh that's insulting you know what I'm saying but 
But when Bush does something like that, Brownie, you're doing a great job. He was, oh, he's just a regular guy. He, he's not nearly as charming as any of these guys. Or, or sharp or as educated. And these are two different leaders on a world stage saying, your administration and your policy is a problem for everyone. And this building that we're in, you have a, you have an uneven presence and you have an uneven influence. And it's not about any other nations. It's about what you say and what you're, you know, you putting pressure on your allies and your friends to, to agree with your objectives. And it's arrogant and we're tired of it. That's really what it was saying. And you know, that type of reaction of, you don't come to my country and insult my president. People around the world can say the same thing about their own country as it relates to uh, uh, the American government or American policy. In the West, Why are you coming to our country trying to take everything? What have we done to you? Why is it so important for you to be the boss everywhere? You got your own country. Afghanistan was doing, they asked, they asked if you guys need loans to rebuild your roads and the IMF was trying to get in. So no, we don't want anything. The roads are destroyed, but we know how to deal with war. We know how to rebuild after war. Thanks for training us to get the Russians out of here. Now we're going to do our own thing. We didn't ask for your training either. We didn't ask for your guns. We was cool while we was getting the Russians out of here. Then when we got them out of here, we decided to do our own thing. Now we're terrorists. Then what are you? You have your own forms of terrorism. You be, all of these books come. Econ, uh, Professors of an Economic Hitman. They have to stop because they're a threat to themselves and they cannot sustain the policies that they set forth for the world to live under. They, they have no intention to live under them. And they can't even, the energy that it takes to police the world. Really? 